wrapped up Revelation in a song, he'd have sung that. That's exactly what he's trying to say. And so as we explore this book and unpack an incredible amount of truth over these next weeks together, I pray that your spirit will lead. You've said that you draw, you lead, your spirit illuminates the Word of God, so please do that. I'd love to say anything you want me to say, Father, so as we explore, share, learn, and grow together, may you continue to be glorified. Thank you that we can join together as a family of God and sing your praise. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Good morning. You came back. Thank you for doing that. I really appreciate that very, very much. A lot of good things going on today. Family experience today right after this service is over, 10 minutes after over in uh, Kids Stuff Theater. How many of you listened to Phone Tree yesterday? Oh, good. More than the first service. At the end of Phone Tree every once in a while, if you listen to the very end at the very last word, Every once in a while, I'm going to offer you a $20 gift card for some place to eat, just to make sure you listen to it all the way. But i got to believe that some of you laughed, because I said the thing they're going to be discovering or unpacking today in family experience is one of my favorite subjects, patience. It's not really. But that's what they're going to be doing today, so you don't want to miss out on it. New ministry starting with some of the men in our church wanting to minister to men and boys. Please look at that carefully. Car crews would love some help for you to give tours of our church. Please make sure that you uh, see that booth out there and talk to one of those guys. I don't know how I could follow last Sunday, but here I am. But thank you for being a part of it. Thank you for being here. For those of you who may be in this service switched all the way to 8 o'clock, thank you for doing that. It helped us balance out perfect in all three services. So thank you for doing that. We had six some, seven some, six some in all three services. So it worked out perfect. I really appreciate that. I really want to appreciate Dave and the worship team and the worship choir and all the preparation, all the time they spent, and our tech guys. We don't always acknowledge them. They're in the dark. They like that. When they're in the light, there's trouble. But uh, they really work hard. They're here for all of our events. The worship team changes out all the time. Those guys are the same group most of the time, so I really appreciate what they do, and their willingness to do it so often with such grace. But I really want to thank those who stood on the stage. Man, your courage, uh, your willingness to do that, your willingness to take such risks and share with our congregation your story in such a simplistic and yet powerful way. I don't know how ever in words I could thank you enough for your willingness to do that, but thank you. That was absolutely incredible to see and participate. A number of people that saw it on Facebook had the opportunity to respond as well. So thank you for that. If you were one of the ones that stood in one of the three services, in the middle of that song, and said you needed help, and you didn't come forward, if we can help you, we need to know that, or we'd love to do that. We'd love to help you in any way possible. We just don't know if you don't come and identify yourself. We're here for you, want to help you in the next step. Uh, you're taking huge assumptions to think you can work it out on your own, so we're here for you. We'll do whatever we can, but please let us know how. L many did. Many came forward and had a chance to talk and pray. But if you're one of those and are still thinking, what do I do now? Where do I go now? Man, please let us know. We'd love to help you. This week on Thursday, coming up on Thursday, we had another female counselor to our sling staff. We've got a number of them that we contract with from Christian Counseling Collaborative out of Pittsburgh, one of the most trusted groups I've ever been a part of. Tom comes on Monday, Amanda on Wednesday. We have Alyssa now coming on Thursday, Don on Tuesday night and Thursday night. 
but there weren't enough appointments to be available. And so we just added Alyssa. She starts this Thursday, incredibly gifted. And uh, if you need that help, let us know. We want to help you. We want to help you take some of the next steps as we go together. Just seems like we finished one series and here we are in another one. I don't know what I was thinking. We just finished James and now here we are unpacking a new one. And of all things, we're going to talk about Revelation. How many of you, when looking at the world around you, think, this is a mess? I got to believe things are going to continue to get bad. I, I, I keep wondering, when is this all going to end? Any of you wonder that? You join with thousands of people down through the ages for the last 2,000 years who wondered some of the same things. The disciples wondered the same thing. Jesus kept talking about that. Paul talks about it. John talks about it. The end is near. They thought the end really was near, and here we are 2,000 years later looking at context, situations, and Scripture that says the end is near. So you got to wonder, when is the end going to be? Jesus said, look, guys, take this gospel to the end of the earth. I'll be with you to the end of time. I've often wondered what it was like for them to hear that phrase, the end of, the end of time? You mean time's going to end? You and I look at all of this because we've heard it so long, read it so often, heard sermons down through the ages on it. These guys are experiencing this always for the very first time. Every single thing that we're unpacking, they're living through, and they're just trying to figure it all out. If you take the New Testament, you can put it in five different categories. The coming of Christ into the world. Remember, he didn't talk about the how, he talked about the why. But all the way up to the Old Testament near the end is this anticipation. Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. You and I have been through a hundred Christmas Eve services, a hundred Christmas services, maybe more than that. But they're just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And all of a sudden, the Messiah came. Everything they had heard for ages down through the generations has now come true. Jesus is here. And so they're thrilled. They're celebrating it. Then you've got the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Everything they're living out, they're living out for the very first time. You need to, every time you read Scripture, try every once in a while to put yourself in their place. They gave up everything to follow Jesus. Literally everything. Their livelihood, they gave up everything to follow Jesus, and then he died. You and I know Easter's coming. You and I have celebrated Easter's coming. They did not. Even though he said, I'm going to be in the grave for three days, who does that? Who comes out of the grave? And they die. And they see it. And internally, they feel like they died. One of the wonders of being in a church for a long period of time is that people are no longer just parishioners. They're your friends. And the longer I'm here and the more often I get a chance to get connected with people, the more difficult it is sometimes to go through the valley of the shadow of death with them. I'm not just burying a parishioner when I do a funeral. I'm burying a friend. And sometimes I go away thinking, Lord, Lord, I look forward to that day. And Revelation, when you said no more tears, because, man, I'm just emotional all the time now. Even beyond Hallmark, I get emotional about everything. And, and they're my friends. And I'm saying goodbye to my friends. Some of them were crazy enough to hire me. And now I'm saying goodbye to some of them. These guys have just said goodbye to Jesus. And then all of a sudden, in an incredible way, he comes back to life. 
And he reveals himself to them. He shows himself to them over and over and over again. Here I am. Look at my hands. Look at my side. Thomas, you weren't there the first time. Here, I'm going to show up and show you what you look for. Here's my hands. Here's my side. My Lord and my God, this is God. And then Acts 1 says in the next chapter, they spent 40 days talking about things concerning the kingdom of God. Would you have not liked to have been at that Bible study? If somebody's going to advertise the Bible study, got a great Bible study coming up, we're going to talk about the kingdom of God. Oh, by the way, your teacher is Jesus. I'm showing up. All 40 days, I'm showing up. Guys, this is going to be incredible. There's so many things I want to tell you, and I've often wondered what it was he unpacked in that context there. And so they're all of a sudden thinking, okay, Jesus, this is it. We've heard about what Israel used to be. Are you going to now restore your kingdom? Is it now going to happen? Everything we thought Israel was going to be isn't. And we're now slaves almost to Rome, and we don't know what's going to happen. So I got to believe after that resurrection from the dead, that was pretty good, by the way, Jesus. I got to believe right now you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel. Is it going to happen? Will we see it? It's not for you to know the time or the dates that the Father has in his hand. Now, we've equated that to the coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus. And we preached it, and I'll even stand on it today. We don't know when the day or the hour, so quit trying to figure it out. But his answer was to the question, are you going to now restore Israel? That's what they wanted to know. Second coming, they thought they saw it. He came back. Didn't he say that for the last three years? I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. So he dies, goes to the grave. He comes back. What do they think that is? The second coming. Wouldn't you? You've seen it so long, you think that was the only one, and he's talking about, to them, that's it. This is it. <laughs> this is the second coming. You came back. You said you would. Here you are. Are you going to restore Israel now to its former glory? Not for you to know. Then the beginning of the church, and it continues to unfold, and we see hundreds coming to faith in Christ, and then thousands coming to faith in Christ, and this church begins to grow bigger and bigger and bigger. And so Paul comes along, never having seen all of that, but somehow in this incredible journey of God, gets to see Jesus in some way, in a vision of some kind, knocked on a, off a donkey, being able to be confronted with the gospel of Jesus radically transforms his life. And he begins to now speak about and write about how to live the life God has called us to, because obviously he's still not back yet. He left again. And so he begins to write about the life that God is calling us to. These guys thought that was it. And so they're sitting in this 40-day experience waiting for Jesus to finally restore Israel. And after 40 days, he leaves again. He's just got used to the fact that he's already been back. And now he leaves again. And they're standing around one day. And all of a sudden, he's up into the clouds. And I love those understatements of Scripture. When they're standing there looking up and two angels show up, maybe the same ones that were at the tomb show up and said, what are you looking at? <laughs> what do you think we're looking at? He just left. We just got him back. And now he leaves again. Another five years goes by and 10 years goes by and 30 years go by and in 70 AD, Jerusalem falls. I guess he's not going to restore Israel yet. And so Jerusalem collapses and everything they thought was going to happen and everything they hoped was going to happen, everything he predicted was going to happen hadn't happened yet. And then Paul and John say, wait a minute, there's another chapter. There's another chapter in this incredible story 
It is the second coming of Jesus. And I don't want you to get hurt. I don't want you to get confused. I don't want you to get lost in the wondering. Because I'm telling you, do not give up. Something amazing is coming. And so Paul and John have this unbelievable privilege of talking about the second coming of Jesus. How many of you, if you're really honest, expect it to be in your lifetime? A few of you? How many of you thought it was coming Wednesday when this windstorm went through? <laughs> I mean, for the first time in human history, the weatherman was right. He said there would be an incredible windstorm starting at 6 o'clock a.m. And at 6 o'clock a.m., I shot up so fast that I thought, I thought trumpets were coming. I didn't know he was knocking on the door. I mean, I sat up out of bed like a jolt, took the siding off of some of my house, and Connie and I were talking yesterday going, okay, why couldn't it come off in the back when only farmers see it? No, it's got to come off the front of the house. And I thought, wow. And then the wind dies down, and another day goes on, and we all of a sudden wonder, what's going to happen? Many of us thought it was going to be after 9-11. Author William Miller wrote, desolating earthquakes, sweeping fires, poverty, famines, wars, strange weather patterns, financial instability, political corruption, widespread immorality. Obvious all indicate the return of our Lord is certainly going to happen in our lifetime. You know when that was written? 1843. The whole point of this series is you got to listen to the right information. you got to make sure you're hearing the right information, that you understand within the context of everything you hear in life and put it within the context of Scripture, then you see it beginning to unfold and make sense. Across my desk comes more than you can imagine and articles and all of that, but a fascinating one came from um, Eric Metaxas and Breakpoint. He's come over after Colson. He said, look, there are so many things going on in the world. The problem is we only hear the negative stuff. Nine out of ten Americans say the world is falling apart, and yet how we define extreme poverty is changing, lowest it's ever been. Child morality is also at a record low. Fifty percent fewer children die by age five than they did 30 years ago. Today, 300,000 more people gain access to electricity every single day. Violent crime rate in the United States are the lowest they've ever been in a half a century, yet only 6% of Americans think the world is better. It's what they're listening to. Christianity Today reported that the average American congregation provides their community with $184,000 worth of social services every year, sponsoring more than 1.5 million social service programs with 7.5 million volunteers. The problem is you never hear that anywhere else in mainstream media. Only what you hear is the church is doing nothing to solve our social problems. So John says, in a world of confusion, in a world where you have mixed up information, in a world that you're trying to process everything that's going on, let me give you some clarity about life, about God, and about the future. The world coming to an end has been a topic for centuries, at least 20 of them that we know. We've heard discussions on the mark of the beast, the Antichrist, the second coming of Jesus. Probably no book in the Bible has more curiosity and confusion than Revelation. You want to write a book and sell it, write about the end times. I guarantee you it will sell. Predictions about Jesus have been going on and when he's returning since he left. A guy by the name of Abbo of a Flurry. How many of you read his writings? In the, maybe I don't think so. In a sermon in Paris in 1996, he predicted with absolute certainty that Jesus would be back by the year 1000. When I was a kid growing up in church, churches every so often would hold special services, talks about end time prophecy, people would come and fill the pews, all of a sudden they would leave thinking it's got to be now. All kinds of predictions about who the Antichrist would be 
They would take numbers and match the letters of a name and come up with who they thought the Antichrist would be, form of numerology. How many of you remember when they thought it was going to be Henry Kissinger? Then it was going to be John Kennedy. He did not really die in Dallas. <laughs> you wait. He's the Antichrist. They took him away. You never saw him after that. Scripture says he's going to come back to life and will be larger than life. Got to be John Kennedy. Then time went on, and it didn't happen after that at all. Some thought it was Mikhail Gorbachev. You know why? Mark of the beast on his head. They thought that's got to be it. It's got to be him. I received more emails after President Obama got elected that he was the Antichrist than I did about a sermon series. Through the years, many made predictions, sold their possessions, sat on a hillside waiting for the return of Christ. Not only were they disappointed, they lost credibility to a non-believing world. And as far as I know, they're still sitting on a hillside. In the 1700s, Jonathan Edwards thought the awakening of his day is certainly going to bring it in. In the late 19th century, William Booth started Salvation Army thinking they were the ones chosen by God to finally fully establish his kingdom on earth. December 31st, 1899, people took out a full-page ad in New York Times and Chicago News anticipating the coming of Christ. When Israel became a nation, 1948, got to be now. He's now going to restore Israel, right? That's what they said. That's what they asked. And Edgar Wisnut, <laughs> that's kind of funny when you think what these guys predict. 88 reasons why the rapture could be in 88. Here we are again, still here. He's one of the ones that circulated that information about the computer in Belgium known as the beast. You've got to be old as me to be able to remember some of that stuff. In the 80s, there was a book called The Jupiter Effect. All the planets were going to line up. I preached on it. We had a full house for days. And I'm still here. Some were convinced that he would come back 9999. That is a good one. That's 99 is my birthday, so I thought 9999. I get to see Jesus. What better present than that? Rach, your, today's your birthday. And you can't get a better present than Jesus coming back on your birthday, and he didn't. And then, of course, there was the millennial Y2K. Y'all remember that? How many of you stocked up? You're not going to raise your hands on that one. <laughs> but did any of you stock up? You know, just it could happen. Daughter Erin called us from New York, said, I got friends from Michigan to New York who want to come to your house on Y2K. I said, for what? Well, in case the Russians really do invade, we know you'll be ready. And I say, why do your friends know how ready I'll be? Why would you tell them that? And they did, 13 of them. I thought three, 13 showed up. Spent the weekend at our house, all weekend just wondering. And then everybody at midnight, you think waiting for that ball to drop? I mean, there were more people watching for that ball to drop at that particular time in Y2K than almost any time in history, thinking it's got to be, it's got to be. And then the ball dropped, and we're still here. I heard of someone wanting to set up a camera in Jerusalem to film it when he came back. I've often wondered, what would they do with the films if he really did come back? <laughs> Why would you want to watch them? You were there. And if you're still there, you're going... Oh, man, did I miss that? <laughs> Eugene Peterson in his book, Reverse Thunder, said, we need some intelligence guides to walk us through John's vision because we're not getting them. So John says, I'll give you one. It'll be Jesus. The revelation of Jesus is not some jigsaw puzzle trying to encourage us to figure out the end of times. 
He's speaking to beat up believers who are on the brink of walking away from their faith and needed to know this is worth it. They needed to know that we win in the end. Because they thought, sure, Jesus was coming back in a relatively short period of time. And now here we are living through the fall of Jerusalem. And we don't know. And we don't know why. I mean, John, the one writing this book, remember Jesus' favorite? I've often wondered, he must have been Jesus' favorite. Because instead of the rest of them being killed like they were, he gets to go on an island somewhere and wait. And when they was restoring, when Jesus was restoring Peter and telling Peter, look, I just need you to know your life's not going to end very well. And Peter said, what about John? You know, that competition between those two. What about John? Jesus said, what is it to you if I leave him here till I come back? That's one of the last things they heard. So what do you think they thought? He's coming back. And now here's John, 80, 90 years old, sitting on an island somewhere going, what do I tell them? What do I say to them? What do I say to these seven churches? I thought for sure he was coming back. What do I tell them? They're really going through some difficult times. And I know he said no one should know. And I don't want them to get caught up in the when and where committee. I want them to get caught up in the welcoming committee. Just to be there and be ready. To be living faithfully, consistently, motivated by love and never giving up. Because even when we're tired and weary, we want to know we win in the end. And so God, in his incredible grace, gives John a vision of the future that no one has ever seen before. Basically said, don't give up. I, I've seen the end results of what we're doing, so keep on going. Some of you are living in unbelievably difficult days, but something bigger and better and overwhelming is coming, so I want to remind you, God is bigger than your future. God is bigger than your problems because his future is worth it all. Three common responses to the book of Revelation. Notice, by the way, it's called Revelation, not Revelations, that many people call it. Obsession, where they can't get enough of it. Avoidance, where they simply avoid it. And division. Churches get split over premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial. Which one is it? Are we going to live through the tribulation? How long will it take? Really, will it be seven years? Why would we want to be here when all that takes place? Is God going to rescue us and redeem us? And churches literally have divided over those things. People still debate it as if they know the exact answer. My wife says she's going on the first bus. I'm probably going on the second one. But I'm not waiting around for that last one. I'm out of here. You know, just in one of those things, John is simply saying to these churches, look, it's going to get hard and it's going to be harder, but I want you to hold on till the end. He's writing to them in very difficult circumstances. Persecution is taking place, similar to what you see at the end of, Revelation, or the, end of the book of Hebrews when they're just being hammered with hate and cruelty and punishment. So John writes, Revelation chapter 1, the revelation from Jesus. Couldn't be a better guy. But God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Obviously, soon's a relative term. He made it known by sending his angel to a servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. This is what I saw. The word of God and the testimony of Christ. Blessed are the ones who reads it aloud. I'm getting blessed. That's awesome. Blessed are the one who gets it, reads it aloud, the words of this prophecy. And blessed are you who hear it. And then they also blessed are those who take it to heart. Not just hear it, but get it, understand it, and believe it. Because I'm telling you, 
the time is near. To the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is Jesus, who was and is to come, and from the seven spirits that stand before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of all the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Every song we sang this morning, John would say, sing it again, sing it again. I'm free, I'm free from, G- I'm free from the jail, I'm free from the path. I don't have to walk in that stuff anymore. John celebrates that. Every- he loved us enough that he gave his life. He freed us from our sins by his blood. And he made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve God. I have no value. I'm not important. God doesn't care about me. God forgot me. God doesn't need me. That is so not true. John declares it from the get-go. You and I are in the kingdom of God. We're citizens, as we sang this morning, of the kingdom. Join heirs with Christ. We are that valuable, that important, that we can be in his kingdom and made priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. First time he came, very few did. This time when he comes back, every eye will see him. And even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be, amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, which means the beginning and the end, says the Lord Almighty, who is, who was, and is to come, which speaks of the sovereignty and the universality of God, always is, always was. I, John, your brother and companion in suffering and the kingdom and patience and endurance that is ours in Jesus, was on the Isle of Patmos, Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I paid the price. The one thing I've said before, if you don't really understand what people are going through at a given time, whatever the difficulty may be, don't say I understand because you usually don't. Just say, I'm sorry. I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm going through it with you. But when all of a sudden somebody goes through what you're going through, there's a deeper connection. And John says, look, I I want you to know. I know how you feel. I know what you're going through. I am exiled. I'm 80, 90 years old, exiled on an island somewhere off the coast of Turkey. Probably going to die here. So I know what you're going through. I know what you feel. I'm with you in all of this. I was on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday now. It's all of a sudden became the day of celebration after the resurrection. I was on the Lord's Day and in the Spirit. What's fascinating about that, he wasn't necessarily in church, didn't have a band, didn't have music, didn't have his iPhones in or his earplugs in. He was just in the Spirit, just spending some time with Jesus. And he said, I heard a voice behind me like a trumpet. It was said, write in a scroll and, and, and see it and send it to the seven churches, the one in Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum, Thyatira, Cyrus, Sardis, Philadelphia, which after they won the Super Bowl and destroyed the city, they needed to hear about it, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and as I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His hair was white like wool. I like that now that I'm getting older. His head was white like wool. As white as snow, his eyes were a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. I've, if you ever hear Duke Loring, who runs families, that's got to be what God's voice sounds like. You ever notice when you ever hear anything about God, it's that deep bass, really? 
you know, you know, we all get to heaven. I can't even imagine Jesus saying, hey, welcome, come on in. You know? <laughs> Are you here, Duke? Where are you at? That, yeah, I mean, say it one more time, Duke. Amen. There you go. I, that's got to be what God's voice sounds like. <laughs> Not that God couldn't be Southern for them, some of you are. In his right hand, he had seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all his brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, placed his right hand on me, and he said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys. Satan doesn't hold the keys. I hold the keys to death and Hades. So you write. In light of everything you've seen, which is what the word therefore means, you write what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place after this. I got ordained 40 years ago, and when I got ordained at those days, I mean, it was right after the Apostle Paul left, that's how old I am, and there were 11, 10 or 11 guys sitting in a room all in suits. Now, people now come to my office and they say, I feel like I'm coming to the principal's office. Dude, you've never had anything like that. I walk into that room after three years of prep, two and a half years of preparation, reading books, writing papers, doing all kinds of seminars, and I walk in that room, and for an hour and a half, they can drill me on anything in the Bible, and it's not an open book test. How on earth I pass is only by the grace of God. And he said at one point, could you explain to us your view on the tribulation, especially millennial, because CNMA is premillennial. And I said, well, do you mind if I just explain to you the essence of the whole book of Revelation? And they're thinking, you cocky, arrogant, 23-year-old, all you college boys got all the answers. Well, I had just done a Bible study at my church that I was at on it, and I took the, um, the view of verse 19, and I broke Revelation down into three segments. What you have seen, Jesus, what is now those churches, and what will take place after. And I took all of Revelation and divided it up into those three categories. Well, it's nothing they could say afterwards because we all had different opinions. And believe it or not, I passed. <laughs> the word Revelation comes from what we know in the Greek word apocalypse. Now, when you think of the word apocalypse, what do you think of? Destruction, right? That's what we think of. Something terrible is going to happen. What it really means in Greek is to unveil, the unveiling. It's really about the unveiling of Christ given to very discouraged believers who in the midst of anxiety and extremely difficult circumstances. And he basically wants to say, look, don't give up. My fear, I think John would say, is you're going to give up. You're going to get complacent. Jesus said he was coming back. He's not back yet. You're going to walk away from the faith. I don't want you to do that. He talks about all the good things they've done, all the bad things they've done. He wants to wake them up and shake them up and realize how incredibly aware they need to be about the return of Christ. The difficulty of Revelation is him writing it in a way that they could understand, and here we are now 2,000 years later trying to understand it through his grid. How many of you write, remember writing letters? I mean, pen and paper. You remember that? Cool. Yeah, there was actually a thing called a pen and a paper, and we put them in an envelope and an address and put a stamp on it and send it in the mail kind of a thing. We used to write to a lot of missionaries. Now, the problem with letters is you would write it, you would send it. By the time it got there, a lot of what you're talking about or predicting has already taken place, right? 
Now we're so used to instant information, I want to know anything. I Google it. I got an answer right now. You think John had that? Hey, I'm sitting here in the aisle of Patmos. Somebody Google return of Christ just so I can figure that. I want to be able to make sure that I'm putting it down right. And I don't think he's sitting there going, I'm writing this so people in Butler Community Alliance Church 2,000 years from now are going to figure it all out. Or some hotshot theologian coming out of seminary who's got all the answers is going to unpack it so now everybody knows. He said, I'm writing what I see. I'm writing what Jesus shared with me. And I'm trying to write it in a way as a poet who really uses words well and gets you to be inspired. He's not always giving us information that we can figure out. He's trying to inspire us. Look. I've seen it. I know it. I know what's going to happen. I know what's coming. I know it's tough right now. I know you think the world is going to pot. You don't know what's going to happen. you got to believe he's coming back soon. But if he doesn't, I do not want you to give up. I do not want you to lose hope. I just want you to keep your eyes on him because the day that you think you've got it all figured out will be the day he comes back and surprises you. So be ready. Be aware. Be excited, but don't give up. God, I thank you for your word. It's incredible. Here we are 2,000 years later with this huge gap from when it was written to when we're unpacking it, and yet to me it still is intriguing. And so, Father, in these weeks together as we look at it and, and try to see the depth and the truth and the power that you want to teach us, keep our eyes on you, keep us in the word, Help us to not get confused with all the other junk that we hear going on around us, that we listen to the right sources, that we listen to the right truth, that we listen to your word. So help us to be people of the book, people of the word. And teach us in these days and excite us like John was trying to excite them so long ago. In the name of Christ, I pray. Ten minutes from now is family experience. Don't want to miss it. Next Sunday morning, we're going to start unpacking the churches. And you will, I'm sure if you've ever studied Revelation before, see some similarities to any given church and some things that we need to be aware of. And we're going to start putting that together next Sunday. God bless you. Have a great, great day. We'll see you then. If I can pray for you, be honored to do that.